In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. This morning's gospel lesson is a bit tricky. It uh, sounds like bits of Jesus' teaching just sort of dropped in. And, uh, you know, what do you think of it? And that doesn't really work. Part of the problem is the way the lectionary was set up. It would have helped if we had had the reading from the beginning of that chapter. So I'll read it to you. Occasions for stumbling are are bound to come, but woe to anyone by whom they come. It would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke that disciple. And if there is repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The faith they were asking for was faith to be able to live the life to the standard that Jesus had put before them. A standard that called them to be accountable to one another. If they saw someone sinning, to go to that person in love and say, you're sinning. To bring that before them to see. Now, I I find that a little tough for myself, quite frankly, and you probably do too as you think about it. The disciples found that difficult. But then it gets harder. Jesus says, if that same person sins against you seven times a day and they come to you seven times and ask for forgiveness, you must forgive them. How hard that is, how easy it is instead to hold grudges, to hold something deep inside, especially if we've been offended and to not let go of it, to not be able to forgive. It is then that the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, give us more faith. And Jesus' response is very interesting. He says, essentially, you have all the faith you need. You just don't act on it. If you acted on it, you could tell this mulberry tree to pull itself up, to be uprooted and rooted again in the sea. You just don't act on the faith that you have. And then he moves on to a very strange little story. He talks about a slave and the the slave's master. Now, I think it's, it would be very wrong for us, given the whole context of the Gospels, to say that this is somehow Jesus making a case for slavery. That is clearly not the case. But what I think he's done is take an example that was perhaps common to them in their time, seeing the relationship between master and slave, and using that as an example of how we are to be as disciples as we live a life of discipleship. The story is very brief. The the slave has gone out and worked all day in the fields, comes in. The master demands that the slave put on the meal. The master eats and then the slave can have, have his or her food. And the question is, would you thank the slave for doing that? This is the slave's duty. The slave has only done what is required of him or of her. And I think Jesus is saying to us, Don't expect great and wonderful things to happen just because you live a life of discipleship. How many of you have known truly saintly people who have done what one might think are all the things needed 
to live a life that is a Christian life and yet find that over and over and over again in their lives they have had difficulty and they've had turmoil. I've seen it many times. And it would be easy to think that it shouldn't work that way. These people were doing what they're called to do as disciples. It should be different for them in this life. I think that the paradigm or perhaps the the construct that we have in our minds can easily become this. If I do that, then you, God, should do this for me. It's a kind of a bargain we strike with God. If I, you know, if I fill out my pledge card, hint, hint. <laughs> and especially if I, if I tithe, if I do 10%, God, you should open up the coffers. There ought to be money flowing my way. That's the health and wealth gospel. And it, it, it sometimes uh, gets a lot of people in church. But it's not the gospel. It isn't about some kind of a deal that we work out between us and God. The construct that the disciple is called to is this. Because God has done this for me, I want to do this out of thanksgiving. And I believe that that is what Jesus was trying to remind the disciples of. That we shouldn't expect great things to happen to us because we're good Christians. Rather, we live a Christian life in thanksgiving out of the good things that God has already done for us. Well, I think that on this uh, day when we inaugurate our pledge drive for this year, I would like to make a connection between this gospel and our life as a parish. First, I want to say that I believe that you have all acted on that mustard seed of faith. And acting on that faith has made an enormous difference in the life of this parish. When the profile was prepared before I was called, and it it was a wonderful profile. If you've not seen it, you ought to look at it. it. It is an absolutely beautiful document, so well thought out and put together. And a part of it in there was for the adults and for the youth to indicate what they considered to be the main issues in the parish. And from that... I have gleaned three goals that I have worked on ever since I've been your rector. And those goals are essentially this, to attain financial stability and growth. That was one of the issues raised by the adults. To attract new families and to be more welcoming. That was a specific issue that was raised by the youth. To increase the size and the vitality of the program for children and youth. That, again, was something that the youth had brought forward. And I'm very thankful that because of the mustard seed faith that was present in this place and the action that you took to act on that faith has brought about tremendous change in our congregation. In the area of our finances, we've established the Bishop Paddock Cornerstone Society. We have well over 60 members who have indicated that when their estate is settled, that some of that estate will come to Trinity to help ensure the long-term financial stability of our parish. And I think over the long haul, that's going to make a huge difference. Uh, Perhaps many of you don't know, uh, we are not a wealthy parish. Uh, We may have some people in the parish who have means, but as a church, we don't have a huge endowment. In fact, 
almost 90 percent of the income needed to support the activities, the personnel, the all of the maintenance and really to keep the lights on and the doors open of the parish comes from pledges. It comes from your pledge. Now, in a lot of parishes in the country, it's not that way. They depend very heavily upon draw off of endowment. But I think the good thing about our parish is that we don't depend on that, but rather we depend on the life giving uh, selves of the people coming forward with their resources, with their time, with their talent and with their money to make this a vibrant parish. Over the past uh, four years, we have also experienced significant growth among young families and children in the parish. We have about a dozen children in the nursery every Sunday. Up here, we don't know that because we don't see that. But way down in this part of the church, in the undercroft, there are a dozen little guys. And the, the church school, if you've not been down there, is bursting at the seams. We're using every classroom we have. And in fact, we have some classrooms that are overcrowded. And all of this, I believe, is something that has been accomplished because of the moms who were so committed and who acted on their mustard seed faith during the interim period that they kept the church school alive. And then we introduced godly play and journey to adulthood. And as those children bonded with one another as they were coming through the church school, now we have those children coming into the youth group and journey to adulthood. And we hope and we pray that we will have them as active, vibrant Christians in this parish, in their college or their workplace in the years ahead when they leave here. I think it's also important for you to know, I don't think I mentioned it, that over the last four years, the church school has nearly tripled in size. Now, when I came, I was frankly concerned that we would did not have uh, a, a enough of a core group to, to have critical mass to attract young families with children. But that's not been the case. And it is attributable to you and to those young parents who have talked to their friends and told them about what's happening at Trinity. We have also seen, I believe, a dramatic change in the demographics of our congregation. We are not as old as a congregation as we perhaps used to be. We're getting younger every day. Now, that's a good thing. I'm not getting younger every day. I don't know about you, but this church is. And that makes a huge difference, I think, in terms of the vitality of the parish. I also uh, want to hold before you the, the reality that uh, perhaps you're aware of, maybe not. But you are a very welcoming congregation. I hear that from people who are new to our parish. And, and that is attributable, I think, to those of you who have been here for generations, who have reached out to new people, helping incorporating them into the life of the church in a graceful way. I believe that that is one of the most wonderful things that has happened at Trinity over the past few years. You have acted, acted on that mustard seed faith that has always been here and continues to be here. I would name names of those who've been involved in making all of this happen, but I would leave out names because, in fact, it is every one of you and the faith that you exercise here. Today, you're going to receive uh, the pledge packets, and they include really two very simple things. There's going to be a, inside a, 
a trifold brochure that talks about uh, the, the things that are going on here and what we see as our needs. And you'll also receive a pledge card and a return envelope for that pledge card. I want to hold up a couple of things before you that you will see in, in the uh, trifold. First of all, I think it's important that we all recognize uh, basic needs of the church. It takes about $50 per pledging unit every Sunday to open the doors, turn on the lights, and to maintain the activities of our parish as we have it now. And that, that equates to a sustaining pledge of about $2,600 a year. Now, if you're relatively new to Trinity or if you've just not ever pledged before, I would encourage you to make a pledge this year. There are two reasons for that. One is that it connects you in a very tangible way with the life of our congregation. And the second is it makes it possible for us to do a responsible financial planning. I also want to raise before you the greatest need that we have. Uh, God has blessed us with children. We have a church school that is thriving. And the volunteers that make that happen, the adults that are working as teachers, the, uh, the committee that has been put together, the ASK committee that coordinates all those activities, the dedication of those volunteers is really incredible. But they need the support of a half-time church school director. So for that reason, we're asking for an increase in pledges this year to help to do that and also to sustain our life as a church. Now, I can't let it go by without saying that the standard for giving in the Episcopal Church, as stated by the General Convention, is the tithe. It's 10% of income. Just have to say that. <laughs> I signed a, a pledge when I was a deputy to General Convention in Denver in 2000 that I would work toward or a give a pledge as a part of my, my life as a priest in the church. Uh, it's taken a while, but I realized last year as I was looking through our taxes that we are now tithing. Now, heaven hasn't opened up, and I haven't seen an influx of huge amounts of funds as a result of us giving to God. But that's not what it's about. It's like that uh, story about the slave. It's not what I think God ought to do because I do something, but it's what I must do because of what God has already done. God has blessed us as a congregation, and we are called to respond in thanksgiving. And I give thanks every day for every one of you who have enriched my life and lose life so dramatically over the last few years. There are not words to explain. And we have heard over the last few Sundays, really through the summer and, and, and late in the spring, of how people's lives are touched by being a part of this congregation and being in fellowship with one another here. We have much to be thankful for. And for that, I give God thanks every day. Amen. Amen.